Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to quiet our hearts now. We ask that you would be with us. We pray that you would give us calm minds even in the busyness, the rigors of daily life to pause now, to look to you, to hear from your word, God, and to see what it is to truly flourish and to continue flourishing in a deep and spiritual way, God. We pray this over the life of our church, that our church would increasingly look as Paul prays here in our passage. And we pray that you might even use this time this morning to help it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just last week, uh, Carrie and I went out for a date at Cafe Hollander. My parents took our kids for two nights. And so we spent Sunday afternoon and then all day Monday painting our basement together. We have a finished basement, but it's kind of like 70s finished. And so we want to kind of paint it, spruce it up a little bit so we can get more use out of it. And this is something we always have enjoyed doing together. Um, Not necessarily painting. I actually kind of hate painting, to be honest. Um, But we tend to bond over house projects and, and making our house feel more like a home And so we took these two days to work really hard on the house during the day, which we really enjoy, and then in the evenings we'd clean up from all of our painting and we'd go out on dates. That first night we went to Hollander and we just had a great time. Uh, We laughed a lot, we had great great conversations, we talked about our future together. Um, I don't wanna give you the wrong impression, our marriage doesn't always look that way, right? But I would say that night um, we were really flourishing. And after dinner, we even took a walk along Menominee River Parkway, and uh, I, I, on that walk, said to Carrie, this right here, how we're getting along just tonight in general, is how I would always love for us to be together, right? This this has been great, right? She agrees. And she agreed. She said that same thing. And so we talked about why that was and about sort of how to keep that going in our marriage. Mom, Dad, if you're listening, um, the break from the kids really did help. I mean, that was kind of a, that could be a part of the equation, I think, in the, in the future. But the point is this. Uh, anytime we find ourselves flourishing, it's really natural for us, isn't it, to stop and to ask, how can we keep this going, right? How can we continue to flourish in this way? We don't want this to end. How can we keep it going? And that's what Paul prays for here, uh, in a spiritual sense, of course, for this local church in Colossae. Uh, Last week, we began this new series through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And if you'll remember last week, on one hand, Paul rejoiced 
Uh, because this church had experienced the hope of the gospel. He talked about some of that fruitfulness, their faith and their love for one another last week. But on the other hand, last week, if you remember, he also reminded them that they still need the hope of the gospel. Because as we saw, as we kind of fast forwarded, and we will see in the weeks ahead, this church was tempted to drift from the hope of the gospel. And at the end of last week's passage, Paul told us that Epaphras, whom he called our beloved fellow servant, had come to visit him and had told him about this church's love in the Spirit. That's the last thing Paul said in our last passage. And that kind of gives us a glimpse, doesn't it, into the events that led up to Paul writing this letter. Turns out Epaphras, who's probably the pastor of this local church in Colossae, paid a visit to the apostle Paul. And we know, based on Paul's missionary journeys, that Paul never went to Colossae. He probably did not know this church in person. Uh, And so their pastor paid a visit to them in order to share a report with them. Now, chances are that report is also how Paul came to learn about some of the problems in in this church in Colossae. Uh, But I know from experience this is kind of how pastoral fellowship meetings go. Right? Pastors get together and they talk about the things they're really encouraged by in the life of their church and a few things maybe that they're a little concerned about in the life of their church. That's more than likely what was happening behind the scenes here leading to this letter. Epaphras, the pastor of this church, visited Paul to share a report about the health of this church and some of the news he had to share was discouraging. We're going to get to that in chapter 2. But some of it was really encouraging. Uh, Epaphras did share about, again, their faith in Christ and, as he says, their love in the Spirit. And so, Paul says in verse 4 here, from the day we heard, right? That is, from the day your pastor Epaphras came to tell us about your love in the Spirit. He says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And what we're going to see as we go today is that what these uh, workers were praying for for this church was that their spiritual flourishing would continue. Paul wants that sacred cycle we talked about last week to keep spinning on and on in the life of this church. And so in our passage today, he is going to describe the key to spiritual flourishing and how to keep it going. Before we get to that, I just want to say maybe you can relate to this, this tension, this pull that we see even in the backstory to this letter. Maybe your spiritual life is a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Maybe sometimes you feel like you're just clicking on all cylinders. You're thinking clearly. Uh, You're thinking biblically. You're seeking God. You're bearing fruit. Uh, You are somehow able to be patient, surprisingly so. And you're able to endure hardships when they come. And then other times, you're not. Right? In fact, other times, maybe you feel the opposite of these things. Right? Your mind is spinning. You're starving for intimacy with God, and you don't seem to be bearing much fruit at all. If you've sort of experienced both ends of that spectrum, could you just raise your hand for me today? I would expect about that. Yeah, most of us have been on either end of that spectrum. And without a doubt, when we do flourish, right, we'd probably prefer, I assume, to continue flourishing, right? That's what this passage is about. Ever since Paul heard that this church had been flourishing, He and his fellow workers have been praying that that flourishing would continue. But in particular today, Paul is going to describe for us the key to this kind of spiritual flourishing. And he is going to show us that all our spiritual flourishing depends on God. All of it. 
We will never find what it takes to flourish in ourselves or in the things of this world. We need God to make us flourish, which is why he begins by praying, petitioning, asking God for these things on their behalf. Church, this is true in the past. It always has been true. It's true in the present. It's true today. It will always prove to be true in the future. All of our spiritual flourishing always depends on this God who is redeeming us in Christ. Again, we have to remember the problem that this church is, a, is facing here. They were drifting from the heavenly hope of King Jesus in search of a better spiritual life here on earth. In other words, they wanted to flourish. And they had even flourished in their past, but now, for some reason, they were trying to sort of make their flourishing happen, and as a result, they were not very good at flourishing. Increasingly, they struggled more and more to flourish, and so in our passage today, Paul is setting out to refocus their spiritual attention in a different direction, in particular to refocus it upward on God. To do that, he's going to describe three essentials to continued spiritual flourishing. I want you to notice all of them revolve around God. First, we're going to see if we want to continue flourishing, we need, number one, to know God's will. We need to know God's will. Look with me at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, he says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to notice, Paul does not begin this letter with a long list of to-dos for this church. He doesn't say, well, hey, if you want to keep flourishing, well, then listen, you better pick the right worship songs because you're not singing the right ones. You better have a better model for small groups. You, you got you to just make sure you're organizing and structuring your week in the right way. To, no, he doesn't say any of that. Instead, he starts by praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. Now, this implies at least two really important things. Uh, first, it implies that they were not already filled with the knowledge of God's will, right? Their knowledge of God's will, like ours, is at least in part lacking. It needed to be increased, needed to be filled up. And secondly, this implies that knowing God's will in this way that he's talking about is the key to all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If we want to flourish, we're, we're going to need spiritual wisdom and understanding, right? And what he's saying is that knowing and being filled with the knowledge of God's will is where you find not just some of that, but all of that. In other words, we don't need to know God's will and a thousand other things in order to acquire all spiritual knowledge and wisdom. No, all spiritual knowledge and wisdom can be found in the knowledge of God's will. And so you can imagine how important this first point is. To flourish spiritually requires a kind of wisdom and insight, a kind of understanding that we do not have, right? If we were to live according to our will, for example, we would not lead to a life of continued flourishing. And for that reason, it's really important that we know where to find all of this spiritual knowledge and wisdom and insight, because much like it is in our day, for even in this church and in this day, there was no shortage of places to look for it. Uh, 
this church was looking for spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're going to see over the course of this book in all kinds of places. They were looking for it in certain ways of fasting, for example, or in certain religious rules about what you can eat and what you can't eat, or even in supernatural visions and these special revelations from God that they might be able to have. Much like today, we tend to look for wisdom that leads to spiritual flourishing in things like modern medicine through health and wellness, or in self-help books that unlock our potential, uh, or in therapy by trying to better understand our own inner life. People spend countless hours and many, many dollars searching for life-altering wisdom in these places, searching for groundbreaking insights and understanding that will lead them to more flourishing. And Paul is saying, no, that is not where we find all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Those things can be found, he says, in the knowledge of God's will. So he's praying that God would fill this church with that, with the knowledge of God's will. He wants them to find the spiritual wisdom and insights they're searching for. He wants them to find it, but he knows that they will only find it in the knowledge of God's will. And so this is the first thing we need to continue flourishing. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Next, if we keep going here, Paul describes what it looks like to, quote, walk in God's power, which is the next essential ingredient to our spiritual flourishing. We need to walk in God's power. Look with me at verse 10. Before I read that, Paul wants the members of this church, if you remember, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Here's why. So as to walk, he says, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now that phrase, to walk, is very common throughout the Bible. It's used all over the place, and it basically refers to our entire way of life, right? To walk in this way is basically a description of, it's, it's a description of our spiritual quality and the direction of our lives. Basically, we can walk in very foolish ways that do not please God, or we can walk in wise ways that do please God. Paul's praying for the latter. But next, he describes what it looks like when we do walk in a way that pleases God. And what I want you to notice here as we keep going is just how central God is to this walk that pleases God. Look with me here, midway through verse 10. This God-pleasing walk looks like bearing fruit in every good work. Pause right there. So it does look like us actually doing good things, right? To love others, to care for others, to honor God. It does. But I want you to notice those good works first are, on one hand, flowing from this knowledge of God's will. We have to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so as to bear fruit in this way. On the other hand, all of these good works will also lead, he says, to an increase in the knowledge of God. Right? And so in other words, we can't just keep flourishing by willing ourselves to do it. By doing more good things, good works, our good works need to flow from and they need to lead to a deeper knowledge of God. In verse 11, Paul keeps describing this walk that pleases God. He says this. He says it looks like bearing or sorry, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. So again, if we are going to walk in a way that pleases God, it will require strength, right? 
We absolutely do need uh, things like patience. We need things like endurance if we are going to patiently endure hardship. Absolutely. But notice this strength does not come from us or, by the way, from any other earthly source for that matter. We need to be strengthened, he says, with all power according to God's glorious might. And here again, to be strengthened according to his glorious might is to be strengthened, notice, with all power. It's to be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy. Again, not just some of these things, but all of these things. God's glorious might is not one source of spiritual strength among many other good options. No, all of the spiritual strength we need to flourish can be found, is found, in fact, in his glorious might. And so, in short, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to walk in such a way that pleases him, is to walk according to his power. If we want to bear fruit and press on in good works, we need to know him more and more. If we want to be strong, patiently enduring hardships, we need to live by his glorious might. And finally, uh, if we want to continue flourishing, we need, number three, to give thanks for God's son. To give thanks for God's son. Look with me at verse 12. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, I love this, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In many ways, church, this is the foundation of all of our spiritual flourishing. Uh, We will never flourish spiritually either now or in the future if we are not thankful for what God has done in Christ in the past. And what is it that he's done for us in particular? Paul says he has qualified us to share in an inheritance. See, in this day, whether or not a person flourished financially had a lot to do with his or her family. Uh, People did not have the means, like we do, of amassing huge wealth in just one lifetime. That wasn't even really a thing. That wasn't even possible. And so for most people, if you were going to flourish economically, that flourishing would have depended on an inheritance. If each successive generation in your family was wise with their money, then one generation after another, as each father passed his inheritance on to his children, over time, that family would start to flourish. And if, for some reason, in a particular generation, that didn't happen, if there was a father that squandered his wealth, that would lead to big problems for the family, and not just, by the way, for that generation, often for many generations to come. And so I want you to picture God, the Father, as this glorious heavenly mogul, okay, with just gobs and gobs of riches, a a heavenly inheritance he is eager to pass down to his spiritual descendants. And I want you to picture us, lowly sinful people who were not part of his spiritual family. We were not members of this family. And therefore, we were not qualified to share in his inheritance. We were not. That is until he qualified us, until he adopted us as sons and daughters, until he welcomed us into this spiritual family. Now, how did he do that? Look with me at verse 13. 
says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you see this? This is why we get to share in this inheritance of the saints in light. This is why it's because the father has transferred us out of darkness rather and into the kingdom of his beloved son, King Jesus, who is, friends, far more than qualified to share in his father's inheritance. Even though technically our sin still disqualifies us from being a part of this family, in Christ, the father has qualified us to share in it. Even still, even in spite of our sin, why? Because in Christ we see we have redemption, Paul says. Paul says here, in Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. So the thing that once disqualified us from this inheritance, the thing that once kept us from citizenship in heaven, the thing, church, that was stopping us from spiritual flourishing of any kind, namely our sin, has been dealt with. We have been fully delivered from it, we have been called out of that spiritual darkness and into Christ's glorious heavenly kingdom. And we can now share in the inheritance that only He deserves. And we can share in that inheritance together with all the saints. Now, I want you to notice here again, if we just zoom out a little bit, all of that depends on God. All of it. The only thing we contribute to this equation was the sin that made our redemption necessary. We were corrupted by sin. We were in need of redemption. We were unqualified to receive an inheritance. It was God who forgave us, God who redeemed us, and God himself, the Father who has qualified us to share in this inheritance. And he has done that by transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Church, listen, that is how our spiritual flourishing began. That's when it started. But I want you to see in this prayer that it would continue. I want you to see, do you see a pattern here? In every case, we are the barrier to our spiritual flourishing. We don't have the wisdom and understanding, and so we need to be filled with the knowledge of God. We don't have the strength that we need, and so we need to live according to his glorious might. We were not qualified to share in this inheritance. We needed him to qualify us and church. He has. He has qualified us. But we need to see in every case, we needed God to overcome us. We needed God to overcome our weakness so that we can flourish. Now, what does that show us? I think it shows us, church, that all of our spiritual flourishing depends on God. All of it. We can't just try harder. We can't just find the right method. We can't just make this happen. If we want to continue flourishing, we need this God to do a work in us by the power of his Son. We need that same gospel that redeemed us back then to sustain our flourishing even now, today. And so that is exactly what we see Paul is praying for in this passage. 
Next, what I want to do is I want to zoom out together in light of what we see here, and I want to consider a few lessons learned in spiritual flourishing. What can we take away from this passage for today that will help us to continue flourishing? There are three insights in particular that I want to share, and the first one is this, is that we do not have what it takes to flourish. I want to be clear about this. That is, in and of ourselves, we do not. Apart from King Jesus, we do not. Apart from King Jesus, this kind of spiritual flourishing is not only like really, really hard for us, it is impossible for us. It is impossible. We need to be filled with a knowledge that is beyond us. We need to walk according to a certain might that does not belong to us. We need to be qualified for inheritance we have no business sharing in. Our flourishing has to depend on God. It has to. This is the only way because we do not have in and of ourselves what it takes to flourish. But that is not a popular message today. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> uh, in fact, it's actually the opposite of the most popular message today. Um, my daughter Audrey loves the movie Frozen 2, so we're going to talk about that. Um, <clears throat> Disney movies, I think, are a pretty good gauge of the messages of our world. It turns out you can't make billions and billions and billions of dollars making movies with messages that people don't want to hear. Right? You have to really know what people are looking for, what they're really hungry for. you got to give them that. Okay? Well, they do, and in Frozen 2, uh, I'll give you a little bit of summary of the plot here, okay? If you haven't watched it, spoiler alerts. You're not going to be able to enjoy this movie after this. Um, but there is an enchanted forest, and it's ruled by four spirits, earth, uh, fire, water, and air. Uh, but these, these spirits are upset with the people of Arendelle. Something's not right, and the point of the movie is to figure out why, what's wrong, Right? And throughout the movie, there's this mysterious voice calling Elsa, sort of luring her to this magic place to discover the secret. And, and when she finally follows that voice, it leads her to a magic glacier to find out who the voice is. That's one of the big reveals in the movie. And also, hopefully, to find a solution to appease these angry forest spirits. Right? And so this, this, you can tell when you get to the glacier, like, this is supposed to be it, right? This is the big reveal. And as this voice leads her through the glacier, a magical snowflake appears on the ground. And Elsa waits there for someone, hopefully, to appear, you would think, in this snowflake so that you would know who behind this voice that they would show themselves, which is the famous song for that part, if you haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> but then, right when you might expect that person with that voice to appear in the middle of that snowflake, Elsa pauses. And then she steps into the snowflake, right? And the fireworks go off, and the music gets really big. Like, this is the climax of the movie. All these visions appear around her. And it turns out, all along, it was her mother's voice who was calling her. Her mother had passed away. That's kind of emotional. I choked up at the part. But, but, then, but then, next, here's what Elsa sings to Elsa, okay? She sings, show yourself. Step into your power. Grow yourself into something new. And then her mom sings this. You are the one you've been waiting for. And then Elsa sings, all of my life, right? And it's like this, wow. It turns out, at this point in the movie, we see Elsa was the fifth spirit 
of the enchanted forest. She was the solution to all these problems. She is the one she's been waiting for all of her life. It was her. She had what it took. She just needed to step into her power, right? Now, I realize this is a Disney movie, and it's kind of fun, right, to poke fun at Elsa at church. Uh, but I don't want you to miss the point here because this is not just a Disney problem. Let's not walk away and just be grumpy about Disney. We would really have missed the point. Everywhere we turn, we hear this exact same message. In many ways, this is the spirit of our age. We live in the age of the self where true meaning and spiritual flourishing even, are not found outside of us at all. That's an antiquated religious idea. No, they're found inside of us. But please hear me out. Again, that is not just a problem because, oh, those worldly people believe it. No, I want us to see this is a dangerous idea. It's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for our kids because it is not true. It is profoundly not true. All of us are tempted to believe that we have what it takes to flourish, that the key to our flourishing is inside of us, that we can go find spiritual flourishing somewhere on earth here if we just look good and hard enough and we look in the right places. But telling ourselves we have what it takes, telling ourselves that we are the ones we've been waiting for all of our lives is not going to lead us to continued flourishing. It's not. In fact, it will lead us to drift, church, from the hope of the gospel. It will lead us, as we will see, to be puffed up without reason by sensuous minds as we search for a better life here on earth that we are incapable of finding within ourselves. The truth is we need a deeper spiritual wisdom that comes from outside of us. Church, we need the knowledge of a holy God. We need our will to fade off into the distance so that we can be filled to the brim with God's will. And so could it be that the reason maybe we struggle to pray the reason we feel sort of apathetic about the Bible, the reason we are struggling to spiritually flourish is because we are looking within ourselves to flourish. Or we think that by searching hard enough and in the right places, we might find flourishing somewhere else in this world. Could it be that we are so satisfied and content with our lives and our wills that we don't really long to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? We cannot simultaneously step into our power and walk according to his glorious might. We cannot do that. In order to flourish spiritually, we need to come to an end of ourselves and what we think we need for our lives to flourish, and we need instead to start longing for this knowledge of the will of God. And so do we long to be filled with a will that is not our own? Do we long for our will even to be changed, to be transformed and replaced even by the will of our God? Church, if we want to find what it takes to flourish, we are going to see, we can see here, it has to come from outside of us. Uh, but thankfully, it has come. It has come. 
our true source of spiritual flourishing has come. We do not have it in and of ourselves, that's true, but the Father has given us his beloved Son. The Father has given us the beloved Son, and he has what it takes to flourish for us. This is the gist. Unfortunately, too often when Christians talk about some of these dangerous trends in our world and our, and our uh, erring towards individualism and all the Disney movies and all that, we often leave out the part about the hope of heaven that is laid up for us there. You see, Paul did not just write this letter to shame this church for being taken captive by empty philosophies. He's not just saying, tisk tisk, you guys, right? You're listening to the wrong podcasts, right? That's not the heart of this letter. Instead, Paul is writing this letter to eclipse these earthly philosophies with the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By comparison, these earthly philosophies should sound like nails on a chalkboard to us compared to what Paul has to say about this beautiful picture of what God has done for us in Christ. The point of the gospel church is not just that Jesus can help us flourish a little bit more than, you know, we already were. That is not it. No, the point of the gospel is that God saw our first point of application. He saw that we did not have what it takes to flourish. He saw our lack of spiritual wisdom and understanding. He saw us pretending that we were qualified to receive his inheritance. And it was precisely then that he qualified us and redeemed us and forgave us by transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The point of the gospel, church, is that only Jesus has what it takes to flourish. He is the only truly qualified son that deserves anything from the gobs and gobs of the father's eternal riches. He is the only one. And even though we are not qualified in and of ourselves, the Father has qualified us to flourish in Christ. So I want us to see, it is not enough, actually, for us to avoid the empty philosophies of this world. It's not enough. We need to embrace the fullness of Christ. This good news of our redemption by the risen King Jesus. That is how we become Christians, that's true, but it is also how we continue flourishing as Christians every single day thereafter. He is still the key to our spiritual flourishing today as he sits today on the throne of heaven. And here's what this means. Here's what this means. It means that this unbearable weight of getting your life right doing the right stuff to flourish, that unbearable weight has been lifted from your shoulders. It has been lifted. Not just once, by the way, back when you trusted in Christ. No, but forever and ever it has been lifted. Even today, that burden is not resting on your shoulders. And so, when a fellow church member approaches you, for instance, with a heavy burden, when they open up to you and they tell you that they are not spiritually flourishing, I want to ask, is this where we point them in order to flourish? Do we point them to the beloved Son of God, to our hope laid up in heaven, 
Or do we try and help them find some other strategy so that they can look here on earth to flourish some other way? When we lack patience and endurance, when we feel like we are quickly running out of joy, is he where we look to replenish our patience, to replenish our endurance and our joy? As a pastor, when I read this passage, my first thought was, this is exactly what I want for our church. I want us to flourish in exactly the way that Paul is describing here. I think any decent pastor really does long for this in the life of his church. But as I studied this passage this week, I have to say I was also convicted because too often I depend on my strength. I depend on my personality to sort of make that happen as if I could. I do that by trying to work harder, answer more emails, meet with more people, or crafting the right, right strategy for ministry, doing the right kind of communication, whatever it may be. But I am learning more and more that my job is not to make anyone spiritually flourish uh, because I, I can't. I can't. In fact, point one of this application is relevant to me as well. I don't have what it takes for me to flourish. And so if I don't, if I don't have what it takes for me to flourish and I try to make you flourish, I'm going to burn out. I am going to burn out but I'm convinced that what our church needs from me, what your Christian friends, what your fellow church members need from you more than anything else is a constant, humble reminder that they do not have what it takes to flourish, but God has given us the one who does. He has given us his beloved son, our resurrected king, this hope laid up in heaven, and Jesus, our king, is devoted to flourishing for us. He does it for us. It all depends on God, and he accomplishes it for us in Christ. And for that reason, leads us to number three, for that reason, we should be very thankful family members. We should be very thankful family members. I want you to imagine that maybe you did have what it took to spiritually flourish. Imagine stepping into Elsa's snowflake and seeing the fireworks go off and discovering that you are the one you've been waiting for all of your life. You just need to step in your power. Imagine that. And I want to ask you, how would that experience shape you? If that's how that worked. How would it shape you? In particular, what kind of a response would that elicit in you? I'd say, I don't think it would be thankfulness to God. I think it would probably be thankfulness for yourself. <laughs> right? And thankfulness for ourselves actually goes by another name in Scripture. It's called Pride. And according to scripture, pride is not the path to spiritual flourishing. In fact, it's the path to ruin. Look with me at, at Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. It does not lead to flourishing. But the gospel is this antidote to that kind of pride in us. The gospel is meant to take our spiritual pride. It's meant to transform our spiritual pride into thanksgiving because all of our flourishing depends on God. What do we have to be proud about? And we can see that that kind of thanksgiving right there, that gospel gratitude is essential to our flourishing. It is absolutely essential. Proud people do not flourish, at least not for long. They don't flourish. But we see consistently throughout the scriptures, thankful people 
do. We will never flourish unless we have thankful hearts that humbly adore God's Son. We will never flourish. And, and I think that this kind of thankfulness is also a really important part of our witness to the world as well. I think this thankfulness is part of what should make the fellowship of our church very attractive to the world. Because while everyone else in the raging nations are tearing one another apart in pride, trying to make sure that they can flourish at the expense of their enemies and even their neighbors, we need to live according to a different heavenly kingdom altogether. We need to be citizens of the kingdom of Christ, citizens of a kingdom that is filled, filled with thankful people who just can't believe they made it into the kingdom. They can't believe it. We need to be just shocked that this kind of spiritual flourishing is even possible for us. We have no business flourishing in this way. And yet, because of King Jesus, we can. We can. That is the kind of thankfulness we need to continue flourishing, church. We need to just gush with gratitude for the grace of God given to us in King Jesus. And until we are shocked by the gospel in this way, I just think we will find it impossible to flourish. Until we are so gripped by gratitude, for the redeeming work of God until we are fueled in all of life by our thankfulness for King Jesus, we will, like the Colossians, run from one earthly philosophy to another, from politics to health and wellness to psychotherapy to whatever it may be, desperately searching for a better life that can never be found in the things of this world. It can only be found in him. But if instead we do come to the end of our striving. And if instead we keep our eyes fixed on the hope of Christ laid up for us in heaven, and if instead our hearts are filled with thankfulness to God because of his son, then we will flourish together as thankful members of God's spiritual family. We will not be distracted by controversy. We will not be embittered by pride or unhealthy comparison. No, we will look around this room and we will think, oh, I just love these people. I love these people. I can't believe I get to be one of these people. I can't believe that I get to be a part of God's family. I get to share with these brothers and sisters in an eternal heavenly inheritance. Church, if we have that kind of thankfulness in our hearts, if we get out of the way, and if we ask God to make us flourish by the power of the gospel, we will flourish together. And not only that, but we will flourish continually. 